There is nothing I love more than an amazing meal with high quality meat cooked at home because let's be honest, eating out is so expensive. And you also know that eating out is the number one budget buster. That is why I am so glad I found ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service dedicated to delivering high quality, grass fed and grass finished beef, organic chicken, pork raised crate free and wild caught seafood directly to your doorstep with free shipping always. You even get exclusive member deals, recipes, and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code ETM and get $20 off your first box at ButcherBox.com. Last night, we made a beef stew with meat from ButcherBox, and you can taste the difference. It was so satisfying and delicious. And all of our friends that were over for a dinner party, they raved at how good it was. So do yourself a favor and eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the planet delivered to your door. ButcherBox is offering my listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm and use code etm to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wanted to focus on a concept that has to do with our behaviors as consumers. And as I dug into it, I realized that of all the influence factors, scarcity is the strongest because it's primal. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Have you ever realized the role that scarcity plays in your money decisions? Scarcity is all around us in our daily lives. Whether you've stood in line to buy the latest Xbox or scooped up all the toilet paper during the height of the pandemic, you've experienced a scarcity mindset. Our guest, Mindy Weinstein, PhD, author of the new book, The Power of Scarcity, and founder of the digital marketing firm, Market Mindshift, will tell us just how big a role scarcity plays in our daily lives. That's the thing. We don't even realize half the time that our decisions that we're making in our purchases is because we had an impact from scarcity. So scarcity is all around us, and it impacts almost every money decision we make, which then ultimately plays a role in our ability to just achieve our goals and live the life we want to live. So in terms of money, what actually ends up happening is if there's something that we see as hard to get or something that's really popular, we actually start to get into the mode of we need to have that. In this eye-opening conversation, Mindy shares 
everything you need to know about scarcity and the role it plays in your money, how to recognize scarcity when it's happening and how to do something about it, how advertisers use FOMO to play into your fears, and a super interesting story about why the diamond ring has become the sign of love. Let's get talking. Well, Mindy, I am so thrilled to have you join us on Everyone's Talking Money. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, there's a lot I want to talk about today um, <laughs> around your new book, The Power of, of Scarcity. And, you know, I'm really deeply interested in this relationship that we we have with our money and how that impacts, you know, our ability to really create change and live the life we want to live. And I know that scarcity is is somewhere around the center of our relationship <laughs> with with money, whether we know it or not. Um, and you say, I want to quote this, you say, whether you've intentionally stood in a line waiting for a new product to drop or instinctively scooped up all the toilet paper you could find during COVID, yes, we all, we all know that feeling, <laughs> you've experienced the power of scarcity. So I, I want to go in lots of directions, but let's just mm. get a foundation first. You know, what is scarcity and how is it being used to kind of keep us from feeling like we don't have enough all the time? Oh, love that question. So just scarcity as an overall definition, I mean, I just simplify it to its unavailability of some type. So it could be something that's a little harder to get for us or something that we just can't get. And so that's really scarcity. Now, in terms of how it's applied, there's actually different types of scarcity and we can get in that, you know, get into all the details as we go. But that's what was so fascinating for me when I started studying this subject years and years ago was, you know, I thought I had a handle on scarcity and how businesses used it. And then the more I dug into it, I thought, wow, <laughs> there's a lot to it. And that that's why I love that you read that statement from my book, because that's the thing. We don't even realize half the time that our decisions that we're making in our purchases is because we had an impact from scarcity. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful in just... I think whether it's it's media or even you know social media, just every interaction. You know, when I was reading your book, I was like, "Wow, like scarcity <laughs> is just at the core of so many things." And this may be kind of a, a big question, but I'm thinking, you know, what role does scarcity actually play in our money? Like, do we actually need scarcity? Because you talk about this idea that mm. scarcity is like one of the seven principles of influence, and that it's so powerful because it invokes this primal instinct that mm -hmm. is kind of key to our survival. So I'm wondering, you know, does scarcity help us in any way as a society or as individuals? Oh, okay. So I want to build on what you just said too. So everyone understands when we look at scarcity. So for me, when I was looking at all the different factors that influence us, you know, this was something that I was working on when I was working on my PhD. So as I was doing my studies, I wanted to focus on a concept that has to do with our behaviors as consumers. And as I dug into it, I realized that of all the influence factors, scarcity is the strongest because it's primal. Kind of what you were starting to talk about there. It's primal. It's the way that our brains are wired. We are wired that we if there's any kind of scarcity situation, we have to overcome it. Like we become so hyper-focused. Our brain doesn't understand that we don't need the late, latest Nike drop to survive. <laughs> but in our mind, it's the same kind of reaction. So in terms of money, what actually ends up happening is if there's something that we see as hard to get or something that's really popular, 
we actually start to get into the mode of we need to have that, which actually could be detrimental to our budgets because we don't really always need to have it. (laughs) And so we'll be so focused on fixing the situation of this is a hard to get product or service or hard to get into restaurant. And so we're willing to open up our wallets. And it was really interesting because, um, you know, in the fall of 2022, there was a lot of talk. Of course, well, there's been talk about the economy and inflation, yet spending was up. And what was really interesting as I was diving into all the different published research on that was that a lot of the spending had to do with cars. And so what people were doing, because cars had been scarce for so long and the inventory that they were dipping into their savings because now there was some inventory available. So it can actually have a detrimental effect on our on money and our finances. Yeah, there's so many examples in your book. I want to get into one in in just a little bit. But I mean, every every like page I would turn, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, and this and this. Um, but you talk a lot about uh, you know, what's going on in our brains when we experience scarcity. Tell us a little bit about that and like you know, can we spot it or recognize it either why you know, while it's happening or before it's happening? So I'm going to tell you about some research that's been done. So brain scans, but I do want to answer your question right away. And then I'll get into the brain scans. What I'm about to talk about is something that occurs at the subconscious level, which when it's subconscious, that means that we have the ability to still stop, pause, think about it. But a lot of times we don't. So it's not like it's unconscious. It's subconscious. So just keep that in mind. So you can't access it. So I don't want everyone to hear this and be all depressed going, I'm just going to always fall for scarcity and there's nothing I can do about it. So there's been um, lots of research, but the two studies that I want to really highlight, one looked at scarcity in terms of decision-making and participants were brought in. They were uh, put into MRI scans. And so if you don't know what that is, I mean, that's those, you see them on the movies. Those are the the, the tubes, you know, you go in the tunnel, you know, the person gets put in for their x-ray. <laughs> so people were hooked up to these machines and faced with scarce situations. When I say scarce situations, I'm not talking about, it seemed like they weren't going to get food or water or shelter. I'm talking about scarcity in terms of an online auction simulation. So definitely not going to make a difference to our survival. <laughs> But what was happening in these scans is that when faced with scarcity, the normal steps that would be taken to make a decision were actually skipped. And researchers could see the way the brain was lighting up. And so the part of the brain responsible for actually making the decision lit up right away, which showed that when we are faced with something that is scarce, we make quicker decisions. And Part of that, again, is the primal, our primal uh, brain and our ancestors, because a lot of decisions had to be made to survive and to not face any type of scarcity. But then another study also using MRI scans looked at also scarcity conditions, but it had to do with product promotion and saw that when people were faced with something that was scarce, that the part of their brain associated with valuing something lit up. So the valuation process. So in other words, in our brain, our brain actually has an equation it does of scarcity equals value. 
Which then makes sense. You think about the secondary market for so many different products and collector's items. I mean, if something is scarce, all of a sudden it's more valuable. But even, I mean, oh, gosh, there's so many examples, like you said, we can give as we talk that <laughs> there's going to be examples I'm going to throw at you going, I did not realize that was scarcity. But it's just, again, it's how we're wired. But all that being said, it does not mean that you just have to like make blind decisions and we're all zombies and we're just going to purchase things. Like you can stop and ask yourself, why am I making this purchase? And I usually suggest if you're not sure, like to, to wait, you know, wait 24 hours. And if it's something you still want the next day, then yeah, you know, think about it. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's big. Even for me as I was studying all this and I'm a marketer, like that's my background. I teach at a university. So I come in with all this knowledge. I still, Still fall for scarcity. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm sitting here on my high horse telling you all of this and not having experienced it. I've experienced it and that's how powerful it is. So even though I know all this, I still fall for it sometimes. I love your your 24-hour rule. It's something I mm-hmm. um, started to do like years ago and, and would tell people I would, you know, put something in my in my cart, my shopping online shopping cart and wait 24 hours and then my my thing was like, if I come back and I decide I want it, then, you know, at least I've given myself that, that kind of brain space to think about it. But most times I come back and I'm like, no, no, or I, you know, eliminate <laughs> like, you know, five of the 10 things that I had in right. my cart. And it's amazing how even just doing some of those things really kind of helps, I guess, kind of jog your brain out of that mm-hmm. scarcity. And it, and another thing I was thinking about as you were talking, um, we, my husband and I used to always laugh because um, there's a department store, Macy's, and um, they're always, always running these commercials that they're having a sale, you know, and, <laughs> oh, you're going you're gonna to miss out, you're going to miss the sale. And I just, right. it, it becomes like, I think when you start to become aware of, of mm-hmm. how scarcity is, is trying to be marketed to you, it's, it's somewhat, you know, kind of laughable because now marketers are like try all these different tactics, like especially around the holidays, to get you to feel like you have to buy something. And so, you know, I was wondering, like, do you have any other other tricks that that you use of of how we can maybe kind of interrupt our brain a little bit and mm-hmm. create some of that space? Yes, absolutely. But I did want to comment on something you just said. So when businesses do that, which we we see, yeah, big brands doing that. It actually, to us as consumers, we start to value that brand at what that discount is. So like if they always have a coupon, you know, there's a restaurant near us that always has a coupon. I feel like I can't go there without the coupon because now it's like the value of that meal is equal to that coupon. So I feel like that even when you hear department stores that are doing that, you're like, well, just wait for the sale because I know there's going to be one next week (laughs) because they always have them. Um, But yes, okay, so... I actually want to bring up fear of missing out. If we can talk about that yes, now. Yes, because- I actually <laughs> wanted to go there. Yes, let's go there. Okay, so yeah, let's go there because I'm going to give you some other examples of things you can do. So one of the other big things when it comes to scarcity and what's causing us to really be influenced by it has to do with our fear of missing out. So FOMO. But FOMO is the buzzword. It's actually based on deeper psychological theories and Really, it's loss aversion. So according to loss aversion, we have a greater feeling about loss than we do even excitement about potential gain. Wow. Okay. I know that sounds odd. Okay. So let me unpack that a little bit. So if you think about it, though, if you've ever 
let's say you're walking in the parking lot and you found a $20 bill. You're like, yes, this is this is great. I'm $20 up. And you're looking around. There's no one there. So you put it in your pocket. You don't feel bad because there's no one there. So you just gained $20. But then we've all been in this situation where you can't find the $20 that you had either in your pocket or in your wallet. And that feeling is actually so much stronger than that excitement that you had. And so there's been so much research that suggests that and, and really goes to that. So then what happens with scarcity is that let's say that we see a, uh, a certain companies having a sale or that doesn't have a sale very often. So we'll go with that. So not the Macy's example. We'll say it's your favorite <laughs> store and they happen to be having a sale. Well, what happens in your mind is you start to feel that fear of missing out or fear of loss. If I don't buy right now, I'm not going to get that price. I'll have to pay a higher price. I'm going to, I'm going to experience loss. Or if I am on, um, even I have this example in my book, you know, you're on vacation and I gave a study, but you're on vacation. You're trying to think like, should I get these souvenirs? And you're not really sure. Well, your fear that you might feel like you missed out later will drive you to make that decision. So FOMO really pushes us. And it's something interesting because I even had this conversation with my son who's a teenager and he wanted to buy something for... See, I'm like, it's going to sound like the uncool mom. It was like <laughs> something for one of his games and it was online. I don't even know. It was like some kind of whatever or <laughs> something that enhancement to his game. We'll just go with that. And he was like, yeah, but it's being sold this thing that I can add to my game. And it was a substantial amount of money. And he goes, if I don't buy it now, I'm going to miss that price. I'm not going to be able to get that price again. But I even told him our 24 hour thing. We'll just wait, go to sleep, see how you feel in the morning. If it's not for sale anymore, you know, you'll find another one, I'm sure. And sure enough, the next day he woke up and he's like, yeah, I don't really want it. And then he even said, oh, and by the way, there's a lot of other sellers that sell it. So where I'm going with this is that knowing that FOMO well drives some of your purchase decisions or desires to purchase, also at the same time know that we've seen through psychological research that our anticipation of regret, which is really, you know, goes with FOMO, it's very short-lived. So even though you might be fearful of missing out on that deal or that product, you're probably not going to feel that way for a long time. It's actually going to go away pretty quickly. So we've seen that that like potential regret that we might experience is very short lived. So knowing that is really important. So like, and I have to tell myself these things. So what we're talking about, I do the 24 hour for myself. Like, do you really need that? And then I'll ask, you know, is this bringing value? Is it something that I needed anyway? And then also, is it a fear of loss that is driving me? And then if it is, well, I have to understand that that's going to go away. I'm not going to feel FOMO down the road. So that's just a huge part of scarcity. I don't know if you did any of this research, um, but I, I'm just curious. I'm wondering, like, is there a specific dollar amount for for most of us that um, maybe is like easier for us to fall <laughs> prey to scarcity or FOMO? Or I, I don't know if you have any like research behind that. So, well, it's interesting. It actually isn't necessarily a dollar amount. There's what happens is there's different types of scarcity. So there's time-related scarcity, which are sales and promos and all of those things, coupons. And then you have supply-related. So that could be some type of like purposeful limitation. So that's where like drops come in and all of that and luxury goods. And then you have demand-related where things are popular. And then you have limited edition. So the reason I'm bringing that up is it actually more or less doesn't have to do with the dollar amount as much as the type of scarcity and really your personality. So for example, if you're someone who really 
likes to be unique and like self-expression, you're going to be more susceptible to supply-related scarcity because you don't want something that everybody else has. You want to be different, which means you also might be willing to spend more money. Uh, Demand-related is a little bit different because that's for people who really do want to conform. And so that it's not going to be necessarily a dollar amount. They just want to be part of a group. Now, time-related kind of goes across them. But I will say, and I just was thinking about this as you were say, or asking your question, I'm going to give everyone an example here and you're going to be like, so I did fall for scarcity. Okay. So sometimes like even the smaller dollar amounts, we don't realize that we're totally wrapped into it. But if you have ever been to the grocery store and you are about to buy something, so maybe because this happened to me recently, <laughs> it was coffee. You needed to buy some more coffee. And you see that they are having a big sale on the brand of coffee that you love. But guess what? You can only buy three. The limit is three. Oh, it says that. Yes. So what do you do? You gotta you buy, buy three. three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you only course. went for one. <laughs> so We've all done that. And that's right there. That's scarcity. And it's just amazing because that's usually what I tell people. And they're like, I don't fall for it. And then, yeah, we we all do at some point. Because now you've also been conditioned. Of, there's a sale and there's a restriction. Oh, gosh. Well, I better buy all three then. Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah, you're not alone. But worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So, how would you spend the money you get from Earnin? Well, Honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin money under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news? Well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic. And it was so time-consuming. I tried all of the apps. 
but I just didn't find one I liked until I found Monarch. And I've got to tell you a secret. Monarch is so easy to use with a very intuitive design. You can even collaborate with your partner and you can customize Monarch for whatever your needs are. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Let's go back to the collaboration bit. Because we know money is a leading cause of divorce and breakups, Monarch has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, make a budget together, get insights on your cash. Yes, cue the confetti. There will literally not be any more arguments over money. And if you've been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, or rarely updated, so was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch has a tool that allows you as well to easily import your data from Mint. You can keep all of your tags and all of your categories. After trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. It's so, it's so fascinating, you know, and I think when we look at like kind of the bigger picture of money and, and, you know, most people aren't in a place or maybe happy with the amount of money they have, or they haven't been able to, um, achieve their goals, you know, kind of whatever it might be. And, you know, I always say, well, there's, there's two ways that we better our money situation. We either have to spend less, or we have to make more and that it, unfortunately, like, it's just kind of that simple. So, you know, when we're talking about spending less, like I feel like scarcity, you know, is is really um, just right there kind of, you know, front and center for us and, you know, understanding what's happening. Like your example, just with, you know, if you, you could only buy three, like understanding what's happening in your brain and having those moments to kind of pause and think through like what you're, what you're doing. I mean, will, you know, buying two extra, you know, bags of coffee stop you from being able to like buy a house Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, (laughs) you know, maybe not. But if we look at like cumulatively, you know, all of those kind of buying decisions that we're making, yeah, you know, I think that's like, it it really, um, scarcity is a bigger driver, I think, of our overall kind of money success than we care to actually think about. And I, I, I don't know really anybody who's able to actually like avoid scarcity. So you, I mean, you're so right with what you just said. I mean, 
I think too, when people think of scarcity is that they're, they feel like, oh, well, those are the emails that I get that says like this event is in two weeks, you're going to miss out. And so they just feel like they're doing pretty good because they're not falling for that. But then they are falling for it in so many different ways. But I think that, you know, all the things we're talking about, I'm telling you how the brain works, but I really feel like knowing that your brain, all of our brains are wired like that helps you because it is what we've been talking about. It's really like stopping and carefully considering your decisions. And yes, it might only be two bags of coffee, but if you're on a very strict budget, that could still be a hindrance later on. And so you really have to be careful about it. And um, that's one of the things like when I'm talking about scarcity is, you know, the <laughs> I feel like it's like, being a purchase addict because say the first step <laughs> is to admit no the first step is actually just to understand the brain like i said and then to know okay what are the tools i need to do is it that i need to wait to make purchases do i need to really consider like the why behind this and you know then make careful decisions does this fit within my budget am i going to have to pull from savings like when i was talking about the cars you know the fact that cars the inventory was back and people are just pulling from their savings you know just making those careful decisions does it Again, doesn't mean that I'm telling you all this and you should be depressed because we're just wired that way. It's you, as long as you understand it, you can overcome it. There's another story I really want to talk about because I feel <laughs> like everybody can relate or understand this one. And it's, um, I'm going to let you do most of it, but I'll just <laughs> set it up a little bit here. It's it's the history of the diamond ring. Oh, and yes. how, you know, marketing agency kind of got behind the story of a diamond ring and thus our connection of like, well, if you love me, you'll get me, you know, a big diamond. So I, I would love for you to tell, you know, a little bit about that story, because I really feel like if you if you can't relate to any of the examples of scarcity that we've just talked about, like this one is something, especially for us females and uh, you know, males on the other end too, probably the ones out there, you know, maybe buying the, the mm -hmm. diamond rings. You know, we all we all fall into this belief now. So I, when I found that story, um, so what we're talking about is the fact that diamonds. And so back in the day, uh, diamond engagement rings weren't the big thing. It was really like, could be sapphires, it could be emeralds, and especially in different countries. And so what happened really was a company called De Beers, which a lot of us do know. And so back in, uh, it was around the 40s, they wanted to expand. So they had control over a lot of the diamond supply. And the thing that you should know right away is I'm telling the story about diamonds, and this right here is going to blow your mind, Diamonds aren't as rare as you think. It's actually one of the most, it's made of one of the most common elements on our planet. <laughs> That's so like what a we believe about statement. Yeah, <laughs> done. <laughs> and I actually tell this story to my students and a lot of them are at the age where they're getting engaged or their friends are getting engaged. And so you see their jaws drop and they're like, what is going on? So what happened was they were trying to raise, really raise demand for the diamonds and of course the value behind it. And so they did a whole campaign of getting into that diamonds are associated with love. And if you want, yeah, if you want to show your significant other, you know, hey, young man, you're going to buy this ring. It needs to be a diamond ring. Diamond ring means romance. They even came out with the campaign, a diamond is forever, but a diamond's not forever. A diamond can, 
it can crack, it can burn <laughs> ashes. Like they're, they're not forever. And also with the idea of a diamond is forever. So don't sell it. Keep, you know, keep it, keep it passed on to the next generation so that the market for diamonds continues to be more restricted. And so, I mean, the story, like there's so many details that go into the story, but our whole belief of what we think about diamonds today and our desire and demand for diamonds is us thinking, no, it has to be scarce and rare and and all of that. So it's very expensive. All of that was started by a diamond company. So know that. <laughs> Look it up. It was back again. Like I said, the first meeting that occurred was between an executive from De Beers and then an executive from a New York ad agency. And they got together and came up with this plan. One thing, and I am giving you away the shocker if you read the story and it's in my book. One of the things that they did as part of their marketing campaign was they went into schools, high schools, and during their assemblies, did a whole presentation about diamonds with the idea that diamonds represent love. And here are these more impressionable kids, but here we are today, you know, with diamonds in our rings and it was kind of funny because at that time that I was doing the research for the book and you know I came across that story at some point. I was telling my husband and I was actually in the market for a new ring. We've been married for <laughs> 23 years and I'm like I don't want a diamond. <laughs> I just felt so like that. I want and a he sapphire. Was like, All right, <laughs> I know that's it. Yeah, he was like, yeah. It's like this worked out well for me, but that's really that story. And there's a lot of details that go into it. But it was still scarcity because they created demand for the diamonds. But at the same time, because they had a huge control over the supply, they were able to restrict the supply. So there truly was a supply and demand, which drove up the value, which carried with to us today. You know, here we are now. So it's a, it's, it's amazing. It'll blow your mind the more you read into it. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks? Where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you think about how they created this scarcity around the diamond, and then how the diamond is being represented as you know a, a status level, right? However right. big your diamond is equals 
your your worth and then somehow it's you know your self-worth and just how complex the story really gets from this you know this diamond company just really wanting to sell more diamonds but how this has then you know been passed down through culture and mm-hmm. really does impact our even our mental health, how we think about certain things. I mean, uh, you know, I I hope I'm not getting too, too deep here, but it really does, to me, trickle down to so many levels. <laughs> it, I mean, that's, like I said, you know, when I was doing the research on that, it you have that feeling of, what? Like, that, <laughs> that's what I believe. But you're right. It does trickle into so many things. And, you know, again, just most people don't realize it. I mean, it shows the power of a good marketing campaign <laughs> as well, but <laughs> the power of scarcity. And one of the other things that uh, happened, again, there's just, there's a long time period of all of this going on was, you know, one point there were a lot of small diamonds that were in inventory. And so same thing, like, what do we do with all these small diamonds? So then De Beers with their ad agency came up with a whole new idea of, oh, you've been married a while. You need to have an anniversary band with, with small diamonds. So they were able, <laughs> that's where that came from, you know? And so it's because they had those. And again, our whole idea, it goes back. To, actually, I'm interrupting myself, but I want you to remember the equation I talked about earlier. The way that our brains work is they have that equation, scarcity equals value. And that's what happened in that whole situation with the diamonds. Diamonds were viewed as scarce because of the diamond company I was talking about. Then our brain said, then they are valuable. And here we are generations later. It's just, it's mind blowing, but it, but it totally makes sense in, in the same <laughs> breath. Uh, you're, you have a PhD in psychology, so obviously you're, you're used to, um, you know, looking at aspects of our brain and how we think and how we operate. I'm curious, though, how did you get interested in this idea of of scarcity and really studying it to this degree? Oh, you know, so the reason I'm laughing because it's I've gotten that question like, why scarcity? Like that's just <laughs> so random. What made you want to study scarcity? Well, for me, as I mentioned a little bit ago, I have a marketing background. So I was a marketer for decades and still a marketer, you know, here and there. And so I always was fascinated with what drives customers, what drives prospects, you know, really the brain part of things, because in marketing, it is a lot of psychology and understanding that. And so um, I do, like I said, I teach, I also, I teach full time actually, and I teach marketing classes. And so I knew I needed to pursue a PhD at some point. So when I did that, you know, I wanted to study psychology because again, that's what drives everything. If we understand people, then I mean we're we're in good shape, and so that was the degree I went after. And then as part of it, you have your dissertation. So I was you know looking at different topics for my dissertation, and that's when I uncovered. Well, we know these influence factors, but the more research and information and study after study that I got into is why I realized scarcity out of all of them is so strong because of that primal draw, as I talked about, because it goes back to our ancestors. You know, there's some other things that, you know, it's more modern, but it's like our brain can't tell the difference between what's survival and what's just like, yeah, I I would just like to have those three bags of coffee. <laughs> that doesn't, well, maybe some people that survival it could be survival for me sometimes too, but it's, that's really what got me into understanding scarcity. And then I had a lot of the aha moments of, 
oh my gosh, that's why I made that decision. Oh, that's why I did this. And I would still find myself sometimes sitting with my boys watching TV and I'd get a little, you know, alert on my phone from a department store and it would say, you know, because your special status, you get early access to this sale. And next thing I know, my shopping cart's filled up. Why did I do that? I don't need, like, I remember one of the things I put in there was like a fuzzy laptop case. What do I need a fuzzy laptop case for? (laughs) I don't, I really don't. I mean, they're, yeah, I mean, they're cute, but I I don't really need one. I have some laptop case. And so, I mean, it was really in all that time period. I'm like, this is just amazing. And then I realized that there wasn't a lot of information that was available to the public about scarcity. You know, it was all just wrapped up in the academic world and felt like if this is so powerful and making so many of our decisions like we everyone needs to know about this do you think that this message of scarcity and kind of the way products are um, sold and marketing to us it feels like it's getting harder and harder to um avoid or maybe i should say the messages mm-hmm. are coming at us so fast about we're missing out or there's a limited mm-hmm. time or you can only buy these many items it just feels like it's more intense do you think we ever get to a point where the scarcity message is changed or is this just, you know, a part of how we're going to operate in society and we just have to figure our way through it so we can, you know, maybe not every time kind of fall into the the, <laughs> the scarcity play? So I think, you know, one, it feels so much stronger and more prevalent now, I feel like because of like social media and because of the access to information. So we're getting text alerts. I mean, I get them. You know, I'll realize like I didn't even know I was signed up for this. So I'm getting text alerts that, you know, I'm gonna miss out on some sale. So I think it's the rapid amount of information that makes it feel so stronger. But I do believe that a lot of that was around, it's been around a long time. You know, even talking about the story with the diamonds, you know, that was long time ago and it was still occurring. But we just see it a lot more just because we're so digitalized. I do think that uh, there's still going to, of course, be situations where we're going to fall for it, but we do start to get callous to some of it or, you know, just ignoring it because we see it all the time. And that's something for companies, you know, they'll, a lot of them don't realize that and they keep sending you the same promotions over and over again. And after a while, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm done with this. But you know, businesses get savvy and they understand customer behavior. There's lots of metrics. And so I think it could evolve a bit, you know, in what we're seeing and maybe not be so in your face, be a little bit more subtle. But we have to also understand too that, you know, we're talking about some of these big promotions and things like that you're going to miss out, but there's so much more, like even the grocery store example I gave you, or you're just trying to go to a new restaurant and it's crowded, or you know, there's just so many different things that it's more subtle, but it's still scarcity as the undercurrent. Hmm. I mean, it's it's so interesting to me. I mean, we could spend hours talking about <laughs> stories upon stories. I, I had to talk about the diamond one because I just felt like that was that was so important. We could all, you know, relate to that. But mm-hmm. you know, I I'm wondering, you know, what do you want us to remember about scarcity? Like we've we've talked about a lot, but mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, how do we keep the message of scarcity in perspective so that you know we can um, buy the things that we need to, but also that we're able to, you know, save and spend in a way that really lines up with our values, so that we can you know, achieve the things, do the things that we want in life without 
you know, spending all of our money on, you know, the three coffees because we just, <laughs> we just kind of fall into that message. What do you, what do you want us to remember and really kind of take away? Yeah. And some of it, you know, I'll recap from what we talked about. I would say the main things to remember is that that feeling that you're going to miss out is short-lived and don't let that be the reason that you buy something or go somewhere. It's not going to last. And if it's not within your budget, just don't do it. And the second thing that we have, you know, talked about, but just to really bring this home and to remember is that if you are making a decision quickly, because that's again, mental shortcuts, that's what happens with scarcity, give yourself time. So wait until the next day to make any type of purchase decision to ensure that that is truly, truly what you want. And then I would say the third thing is recognizing that there are different forms of scarcity. It's not always going to be that flash sale, but there's other things too. And so just really paying attention to that and making sure again, that you're not falling for something without realizing you are. So those would be the three things. And that's going to help protect your budget and help you plan for for the future and to grow your wealth too, because you'll have money to actually grow your wealth with. I don't know about you, but I feel, I guess the word is empowered after talking to Mindy. I started to really recognize how scarcity is everywhere and just how hard it is to create those pause moments when you really recognize that scarcity is is there. So you can make a money choice that aligns with your goals and not with your fears. It's hard to do. (laughs) But as Mindy shared, it's very important. I also loved her tip about waiting 24 hours to buy something. I use it. It works well. So I would suggest borrow that and amend it to whatever feels right for you. And then can we talk about the story about the diamond ring? That totally blew me away. Just goes to show you how good a really good marketing message behind a product or service can be and how it can start have all of us believing that it's really worth our hard-earned dollars. If you want to pick up a copy of the Power of Scarcity book, just head to her website, powerofscarcity.com. You'll find all of the bookseller options there and you can connect with Mindy as well. It's definitely a book to keep on your bookshelf. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone else because, hey, everybody needs to know about scarcity and the role it plays in your money and your money decisions. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guest, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you back here, my friend, in a few days for a brand new episode. (laughs) 